Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for book six, chapter 23. Why do you think the Countess is afraid of Andre? Do you think the Countess wants Andre and Natasha to get married? Why or why not? And what do you think of the thoughts of Natasha and Andre when they were discussing the proposal? Do you think they should get married? Do you think they're best being honest with themselves? Uh, are they being honest with themselves? I found, you know, one moment that struck me was how immediately, as soon as he'd passed the point of no return, <clears throat> excuse me, Andre had like buyer's remorse, like immediately flooded him with these, uh, a new attitude towards her, almost like pity against her rather than, you know, he was so enamored by her previously. Uh, I found that really interesting and I wonder well, was he being honest with himself? Is he being honest with himself? Um, the other thing that I thought, well, I'm reminded of, um, there's a, who is it? I think it might have been a Louis C.K. joke or either that or a Ricky Gervais joke. Uh, he's talking about how, you know, he was on a flight and the flight crew announced that they had a brand new thing to offer. It's been out for a few years now, but um, that you could now get Wi-Fi on the airplane, which is just unheard of, or was at least at that point. <clears throat> and that shortly after that, one of the passengers near him was complaining about having a patchy signal and having the, um, the Wi-Fi drop out. And the I can't remember exactly the punchline, but it was like, you know, an hour ago you didn't know this existed and now you're already complaining that it's not good enough kind of thing, something along those lines. Um, I felt that way with, with Natasha saying how awful it was that she had to wait a year. Um, you know, 10 minutes ago you weren't engaged. You know, you hadn't, locked in this whole relationship it was just you were just acquaintances and now you know you're engaged I don't know it reminded me a bit about it she immediately complained that she had to wait too long but then she also went back and said you know I'm happy to do it because she loves him and whatnot um Warren Kabuffy says as much as I don't like to admit it I feel like old man Bolkonski might have been onto something with his hesitation over Andre's enamorment of Natasha, after he listed his reasons, particularly that Andre already has a son and his own emotional baggage, I started to agree that Andre might need to hit the brakes for a bit. I think he has a point that it seems unfair to put such a young woman into this situation. I agree as well, actually. Um, old man Bolkonski, he might be grumpy and old, but he's also pretty... Um, uh, um, logical, rational is the word I'm looking for. Uh, Acoustic Eel says, this chapter reminds me of this pair of tweets. Um, it says, y'all need to stop craving on attention from someone and work on yourself. And then a follow-up tweet from the same person saying, never mind, he texted back. <laughs> 
pretty funny. Um, alright. Oh man, I'm, I'm a bit brain dead at the moment. Stephen Foxbat says, Stephen Foxbat says, Natasha seems to be trying to convince herself. You reckon? Maybe. I, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I thought she seems pretty into him. Um, I don't know. Let's read and see. Oh, sorry. I'm very tired. I'm half asleep and I'm doing a bad podcast. I'm always half asleep. Um, okay. What are we reading now? 24. All right, let's go. Here it goes. No betrothal ceremony took place and Natasha's engagement to Bolkonsky was not announced. Prince Andre insisted on that. He said that as he was responsible for the delay, he ought to bear the whole burden of it, that he had given his word and bound himself forever, but that he did not wish to bind Natasha and gave her perfect freedom. If after six months she felt that she did not love him, she would have full right to reject him. Naturally, neither Natasha nor her parents wished to hear of this, but Prince Andre was firm. <clears throat> Excuse me. He came every day to the Rostovs, but did not behave to Natasha as an affianced lover. He did not use the familiar thou, but said you to her, and kissed only her hand. After their engagement, quite different, intimate and natural relations sprang up between them. It was as if they had not known each other till now. Both liked to recall how they had regarded each other, when as yet they were nothing to one another. They felt themselves now quite different beings. Then they, then they were artificial, now natural and sincere. At first, the family felt some constraint in intercourse with Prince Andre. He seemed a man from another world, and for a long time Natasha trained the family to get used to him, proudly assuring them all that he only appeared to be different, but was really just like all of them, and that she was not afraid of him, and no one else ought to be. After a few days they grew accustomed to him, and without restraint in his presence pursued their usual way of life, in which he took his part. He could talk about rural economy with the Count, fashions with the Countess and Natasha, and about albums and fancy work with Sonia. Sometimes the household, both among themselves and in his presence, expressed their wonder at how it all happened, and at the evident omens there had been of it. Prince Andre's coming to Okrudnoe, and their coming to Petersburg, and the likeness between Natasha and Prince Andre, which their which her nurse had noticed on his first visit, and Andre's encounter with Nicholas in 1805, and many other incidents betokening that it had to be. In the house that poetic dullness and quiet reigned, which always accompanied, accompanies the presence of a betrothed couple. Often, when all sitting together, everyone kept silent. Sometimes the others would get up and go away, and the couple left alone still remained silent. They rarely spoke of their future life. Prince Andre was afraid and ashamed to speak of it. Natasha shared this as she did all his feelings, which she constantly divined. Once she began questioning him about his son, Prince Andre blushed 
as he often did now, Natasha particularly liked it in him, and said that his son would not live with them. Why not? asked Natasha in a frightened tone. I cannot take him away from his grandfather, and besides, how, do, how I should have loved him, said Natasha, immediately guessing his thought, but I know you wish to avoid any pretext for finding fault with us. Sometimes the old count would come up, kiss Prince Andre, and ask his advice about Petya's education or Nicholas's service. The old countess sighed as she looked at them. Sonia was always getting frightened, lest she should be in the way, and tried to find excuses for leaving them alone, even when they did not wish it. Prince Andre spoke. He could tell a story very well. Natasha listened to him with pride. When she spoke, she noticed with fear and joy that he gazed attentively and scrutinizingly at her. She asked herself in perplexity, What does he look for in me? He is trying to discover something by looking at me. What if what he seeks is in me is not there? Sometimes she fell into one of the mad Mary moods characteristic of her, and then she particularly loved to hear and see how Prince Andre laughed. He seldom laughed, but when he did, he abandoned himself entirely to his laughter, and after such a laugh, she always felt nearer to him. Natasha would have been completely happy if the thought of the separation awaiting her and drawing near had not terrified her, just as the mere thought of it made him turn pale and cold. On the eve of his departure from Petersburg, Prince Andre brought with him Pierre, who had not been to the Rostovs once since the ball. Pierre seemed disconcerted and embarrassed. He was talking to the Countess, and Natasha sat down beside a little chess table with Sonia, thereby inviting Prince Andre to come too. He did so. You have known Bezikov a long time, he asked. Do you like him? Yes, he's a dear, but very absurd. And as usual, when speaking of Pierre, she began to tell anecdotes of his absent-mindedness, some of which had even been invented about him. Do you know I have entrusted him with our secret? I have known from him, him from childhood. He has a heart of gold. I beg you, Natalie, Prince Andre said with sudden seriousness. I am going away, and heaven knows what may happen. You may cease to... Uh, all right... I know I'm not to say that, only this, then. Whatever may happen to you when I am not here, what can happen? Whatever trouble may come, Prince Andre continued. I beg you, Mademoiselle Sophie, whatever may happen, to turn to him alone for advice and help. He is a most absent-minded and absurd fellow, but he has a heart of gold. Neither her father, nor her mother, nor Sonia, nor Prince Andre himself could have foreseen how the separation from her lover would act, on Natasha. Flushed and agitated, she went about the house all that day, dry-eyed, occupied with most trivial matters, as if not understanding what awaited her. She did not even cry when, ta on taking leave, he kissed her hand for the last time. Don't go, she said, in a tone that made him wonder whether he really ought not to stay, and which he remembered long afterwards. Nor did she cry when he was gone, but for several days she sat in her room, dry-eyed, taking no interest in anything and only saying now and then, oh, why did he go away? But a fortnight after his departure, to the surprise of those around her, she recovered from her mental sickness just as suddenly, and became her old self again, but with a change in her moral physiognomy, 
as a child gets up after a long illness with a changed expression of face. All right, there we go. Natasha. Ah, Natasha. <laughs> oh, Natasha. I feel bad for her in this moment. She's in over her head, I feel. Um, all right, have a say about it on the subreddit. Um, thank you very much for listening, and I will see you tomorrow.